I don't know how to tell you how worth your time this particular interview will be. Ted Houston is one of the godliest men I know, one of the most powerful preachers I know. And please take a few moments to listen to this podcast in its entirety. You will be helped. I mentioned many times that this is the first time I had the conscious thought that I need to shut up and just let the man of God speak. Hope you enjoy number 17 with evangelist Ted Houston. And one. We are live. This is Mike McCurry, live number 17 with Brother Ted Houston, a uh, friend to me, friend to my family, a hero of mine. I don't toss that word around lightly, Brother Houston, and I'm not trying to just buddy you up. I very much do look up to you, and I appreciate uh, your investment in my life. Um, He's obviously taking the time out of a very busy schedule to uh to be with me right now and i appreciate that brother houston um if you wouldn't mind and for those i I have uh, some folks that might be watching that maybe not sure who you are and so in 50 to 100 words maybe in three minutes can you tell us who you are well i'm evangelist ted houston and uh, uh for 26 years i started and pastored central baptist church in jefferson city missouri I uh, was originally a high school football coach with a goal to be a college football coach. And the Lord called me to preach. And um, so I've been in the ministry now 36 years and um, started out at four years at uh, Second Baptist Church in Festus, Missouri, as a Christian school teacher. Then we planted that church in Jeff City in 1987 until 2013. I've been in evangelism, evangelism since then. I was raised in a Christian home, went to church nine months before I was born, accepted Christ as my Savior at five years of age. Uh, but then I became a prodigal, and uh, I got out of church for a while, and then uh, met my wife, and she wasn't saved. She got saved and realized she needed to get in church, so we got back in church, and and I began to grow again, and God brought me to the place that called me to preach. So that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I'm a Kansas boy, grew up in a town of 1,200 people, and uh, God moved me to misery, I mean Missouri, for 30 years, and now I'm back in Kansas. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, something I do know about you is, um, and again, I'm not just saying this to to, to be kind. It, I believe it's true. You, I think you have a heart for uh, a lot of different things that maybe get left on the uh, on the side sometimes. Uh, your heart, heart for small churches, um, yeah. heart, heart for uh, wayward, wayward men sometimes as well, but um, and heart for the little folks, if you want to call it that. Um, and I, it's kind of a question that may be hard to answer, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't get the sense of. It. Of arrogance from you ever, brother Houston. But if you could answer, where do you think that heart for the little folks came? Did it come from growing up in a town of twelve hundred, or where did you where did you kind of develop that uh, part of your ministry and, and and thought process? Well, I think probably somewhat growing up in a small town. I mean, you grow up in a town of twelve hundred people in Kansas, and you think about that, that's a, that's kind of a no place. Nobody knows about it. Little town called Haven. I mentioned to the people, they don't know about it. Of course, our little sign on our town said Haven, just an E away from heaven, you know. But 
you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big shot. I didn't come from a big shot family. I didn't come from a big church with a well-known pastor or well-known ministries, you know, but my pastor in a town of 1,200 ran 200. So he reached one-sixth of his community. You know, that's no big deal uh, when you compare to like the big mega churches and all. But when I look at things in God's eyes, I think God doesn't measure things the way men do. And so that's it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. I'm not extremely intelligent. I tell folks I'm God's dumb boy. I was ADHD. I had to take remedial reading. You know, my wife graduated summa cum laude. I graduated, please come, Lord, before I have to take this next test, you know. And I'm just a little guy. My grandfather was a farmer. My dad worked for the city, uh, just common folks. And, and that's just what I am. And then I've just always had a heart for people. I got into teaching because I wanted to help people. And, uh, you know, and then I got in the ministry and um, I just, you know, they that are holy, not a physician, but they that are sick. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not, I, I don't, you know, I'm not a respecter of persons, really. Uh, I'm not really impressed by people who are, who are, stuck on themselves. I prefer not to be around that kind of crowd. And we went into Jeff City and the Lord just really moved our heart to go into the housing projects. And uh, that became most of our ministry. We just, we got the drug addicts and we got the, you know, the women that had never been married. And, you know, over half of our church was, uh, was uh, black people. It was a unique church. Yet we had the, you know, we had businessmen and professionals in our church and all kinds of people. But, you know, I, I just looking for people that, that are hurting that need to be helped. You know, I, I just don't want to spend time with people that don't feel like they need the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't waste my time on that, you know, I guess. Sure. And, sure. Uh, and then when I got called into the ministry, I really wanted to come to Kansas because there's little towns all over that have no mm-hmm. Bible preaching church. And I just, you know, I have a burden for that. And I still do. But, uh, you know, the Lord moved me to Jeff City where there's already three independent Baptist churches to start another one. And I didn't really understand it, but I know it's what he wanted me to do. And we had a great run, saw God do great things there. Uh, and now I'm in Kansas. I don't think I could ever pastor a church again, start one at my age with my health issues. But I do pray for these guys. And then I, 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 I want to go and help them. I love going to small churches and just encouraging and preaching. I go to a little town of about 250 people, the preachers there, and got about 12 people. And I love to go there and just, you know, to encourage them to do what they can for the Lord there. You know, the reality is in a small town like that, they're not going to do what guys do in a big city, you know, but they need to be there. I have this philosophy, Micah, that God said, take the gospel to every creature. So every place there's a human being, I believe God called somebody to go there. But a lot of our young men won't go because we have pumped into their head that success is bigness. Dr. Lee Robertson said, success is finding God's will and doing it. Yes, sir. And so, you know, that's just my heart. I'm not against, I'm, I'm thankful for the big churches. 
and I'm glad what they're doing and praise God. But I think we've forgotten these little guys. Nobody praises them. You know, I, I have said this to several, I won't say who I spoke to it, but in their conferences, they never preach a small, small church preacher. Hmm. You know, there's a conference going on. Look at, look at the preachers. Sure. There's no preacher from a small church, yet some of the best preachers I know and some of the best men of God I know are pastoring out in little country churches, <laughs> and they're not expecting to be praised. Right. I, one of the things I worry about in the ministry, Mike, is how much ego there is in the pulpit. I'm afraid there's a lot of ego in our pulpits today, and we're not supposed to be egotistic. We're supposed to be humble. Somebody one time accused me of being falsely humble. Well, God says that we're to humble ourselves. Mm -hmm. So how can you be falsely humble? It's a commandment. So, I mean, I don't know what you do. Sure. But when you're commanded to humble yourself and then you do it and then somebody gets upset with you because you're humble. You know, I, I, I don't want to answer except God told me I was supposed to humble myself. Right. You know, and yes, sir. a lot of us are going around tooting our horns and patting ourselves on the back and trying to make a name for ourselves. And I don't judge anybody, but I, I just don't feel like that's where we're supposed to be. And, you know, I feel like. You know, Jesus talked about the Pharisees, you know, the, they'll invite somebody to a meal that can invite them back. Hmm. Hmm. But he told us, don't invite the people to the meal. I'm not looking for people that can give me something. I'm looking to give to people. I don't want anything from anybody unless they, they want to do it because the Lord wants them to. Yes, sir. You know, so I, I guess that, I don't know if that answers the question. But no, that, but Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. And this is something that we that we've talked about just in pat, not in passing, but for a few moments, you were kind enough to uh, to, to take me out for lunch while you were here and um, just know you're, you're a favorite of First Baptist Church at Kenworth. Our folks loved you while you were here and looking forward to having you, uh, Lord willing, back in August after football mm -hmm. camp this year. Um, you. I, for some reason, I keep forgetting that you, that you started the church there in Jeff City. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I'm sure a lot of struggle, a lot of toil that went into that. Um, growing up in military brat, got to be in a lot of church plants myself. And mm -hmm. so I, 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 it's near and dear to me. What are some thoughts for young men that uh, go in? You know, maybe not going to the big booming city, or, or maybe they are. Maybe that's where God's called them. Um, what are some thoughts about church planning that you learned uh, from your time there? Well, my my church plant was a unique situation in that I had four families that came out of a church that was changing. They were leaving the King James and they were leaving standards and soul winning and, and they were mature couples. <laughs> so I walked in on the first uh, Saturday I was there going soul winning and I had uh, I had 10 adults out knocking doors. Uh, I think the greatest thing I'd say to a young man is I don't believe you ought to do it alone. I think one of our mistakes we make, you know, Jesus sent them out by two. And uh, Ecclesiastes says two are better than one. I think one of the mistakes we make is we send a young couple out and we send them out by themselves. And they're there out there working and laboring and, and they don't have any help. And I think we need to rethink church planting in that uh, 
You know, I think Jim Beller wrote a pretty good book on church planting where you take some of your members who agree to go over to the new church plant uh, to to be, you know, kind of the backbone until it grows. And and uh, but I just think that's one of the biggest mistakes. And uh, the only thing else I could say, you know, is you got to be sure God's called you there and called you to it, because if if it's if it's not God, you're not going to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, uh, I don't know much about I didn't know anything. I didn't go to Bible college. I never had a church ed class in my life. And you've been a real failure in ministry because of that. I can see <laughs> the only thing I knew to do, brother Mike, is go knock doors and win people to Christ. And I've had some guys that kind of wanted my church. You know, you get these guys come in and after you've worked hard and got a good church, they come in. It's like they kind of give the indication they'd like to be the pastor. I used to say to him, well, if you can go get you a building somewhere, you can go knock some doors, win some folks to Christ, get them to come and listen to you preach and get them to come back again and come back again, then go ahead and do it. <laughs> you know, but that's really what it is. You know, you pray, you go out and knock doors, you lead folks to Christ, you follow up. I tell folks all over now when I'm in evangelism, soul winning brings people to Christ. Follow up brings people to church. Discipleship brings people to Christ likeness. Hmm. You got to go win them. Then you got to follow them up. You got to invest in them. You know, you got, man, you've led them to Christ. They need to get baptized. They need to get in church. I had one couple. I probably, they were in my church five years. I visited them every Saturday for five years. Because if I didn't visit them, they wouldn't come. Hmm. And somebody said, well, that's that's ridiculous. So, well, what is a person worth? You know? And uh, in, uh, doing the Lord is called the Lord's work. It's work. You got to work at it, you know? And I, was, I, know, I think a lot of times we think, well, we just go out there and our our personality and our intelligence and our charisma, and, you know, we're going to set the world on fire. And yet reality is, you know, if you don't work, there's no success. You know, God doesn't bless laziness. So then I would say to young men, I say this to young men all the time. There's times, Michael, when I could sneeze and our church would grow. There's times when I worked my tail off and it fell apart. So there's no guarantees. And I'm not I'm not the builder of the church. Christ is. I'm just the servant. My job is just to do what God wants me to do and be faithful. And sometimes, man, it goes great. And sometimes it falls apart. And I don't have the answer for that. The only thing I know is you can either keep going or you can quit. Right. I had three church splits. I'm not quitting. I have cancer. I'm not quitting. I'm just not quitting. I don't just don't believe in quitting. Yes, sir. You know, the Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small, you know. Yes, sir. And so when it gets tough, the, my coaches used to say when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Yes, sir. When I played in college, my coach said every good player has a hot button inside. And when they think they can't go another step, great players push that hot button and find the ability to to, to, to rise to the occasion. And, you know, God's looking for athletes, you know, 
Paul, Paul talked about athletic things, you know, mm -hmm. um, and pressing toward the mark. And God's looking for, you know, soldiers. He's looking for men. I think the biggest thing is just got a man up. <laughs> yes, sir. God's called you there. Stay there. And don't leave unless God moves you. I'd still be there if God hadn't moved me. And I'm not leaving because of problems. Yes, sir. I didn't leave because of problems. So that's the only thing I could say. Sure. Now, you know, I, I really would encourage a young man if he's going to plant a church to try to try to find somebody to help him. Hmm. You know, I believe I believe we probably make mistakes on the mission field. We ought to send. I think we ought to send out more mission teams. Mm -hmm. To that point, I, I read something interesting. Inter interesting to me. I, I don't know. I have to study the biblicality of it. But I uh, heard, heard a pastor say, um, I don't remember what his congregation was or how big his building was, but he said he's never going to build another building. As soon as they outgrow that one, he's going to send forty of them away to go plant a church. Yeah. Um, because and he 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 used the the, the biblical uh, illustration of you know tearing down my barns to build bigger ones, and I, I, it's not apples to apples probably, but it was just interesting to me. Instead of you know gathering all the resources to myself, spreading them out, you know, sowing into the wind a little bit. Um, it was just interesting, and to your point about about sending out teams uh, in some form or fashion. Now, well, we'll go ahead. Look at, Paul, look at the Apostle Paul. He always had Timothy, Titus. He had a whole group with him, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and again, Jesus sent them out two by two. He didn't send them out by themselves. Um, I don't know about that, you know. When your church gets built, you, you go start another church. I wouldn't be against that philosophy. Sure. I mean, I, I'm not sure uh, necessarily what what really good sometimes it is to build a bigger church. I mean, if you could use that church to reach another area. Sure. But, you know, like I think you look at some of these big ministries and they've got a big church and then they are using that to send out guys to plant churches. So mm -hmm. I think the idea of we need to plant churches is good. And I think there's more than one way to do it. I don't Absolutely. think that, that you can necessarily fault somebody for sure. doing it in different ways. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I didn't do in 26 years is I really did, get in, did not get involved in planning a church anywhere else. And I feel like really failed there. I had an opportunity to start a church in uh, Fulton a guy in my church had a building there and offered it to me. And I just thought I couldn't handle the workload. But I look back on it now and I wish I had done it. So, you know, you do have regrets in your ministry. Sure. Now you touched on it for a moment. Uh, some of the lessons learned um, playing football and in athletics. And, and the point of this wasn't just to be talk about a football camp, though. We can definitely talk about it. And it's, it's been a part of your ministry and you made a huge investment there. Uh, but for a generation, and I'm talking about my generation, that is, to speak of myself, we're soft in many ways. And there's a lot of a lot of illustration, a lot of experiences that we'll never have because it's a different society. It's a different culture. Uh, we're not waking up at four o'clock in the morning to milk cows and things like we like some did in the past. What are some, just some thoughts or challenges that you give to the young men, young men and women, but young men from 
your experiences in the toughness, the crucible of athletics that translate. And I, I've heard them before, but for those that are listening, that would be helpful for us. Yeah. Well, I, I know, you know, Brother Woodward said athletics reveals character, you know, and, and I don't know. I can't I can't really say I'm old school. They don't have old school anymore. You know, my coach used to have us do leg lifts and then walk on our bellies while we were doing it, you know, and they used to grab you and throw you up against the wall. And we're living in a society where you can't touch anybody, you know, um, just the old fashioned worth work ethic, you know, and coaches pushed us. We worked hard. You know, I think, you know, athletics just you got to determine if you want to play or not. And then you got to pay the price, you know. And um, so I don't know. I really, I, I attribute so much to my dad. Um, you know, my dad grew up on a farm. I didn't grow up on a farm, but you know, my dad would would realize that uh, he needed to teach us how to work. Somebody asked me, Brother Houston, how do you raise good boys? I said, teach them how to work. Teach them how to work. They'll never want for anything. I was at a pastor school years ago, and there was a guy that ran a boys' home. And um, anyway, long story short, he got in trouble with the law and was going to be in prison for getting a boy back from running away. But he made this statement: "I only know three ways to uh, to develop a good boys: the Bible, the belt, and blisters." And my daddy taught me the Bible. He used the belt on me. And he, and, he, and he put blisters on my hands. You know, hmm. when I was uh, 10 years old, summer started, he took me out in the garage. He said, there's the lawnmower, there's the oil, there's the gas. I provide that, you mow my yard. And you're going to get yards to mow this summer because no boy of mine is going to spend all his time watching TV and going down to the swimming pool. And then he said, you're going to bring the money to me. 10% goes to the Lord. 10% goes in the bank. The other 80% you can do whatever you want to with. But if you want my advice, I'd put it in the bank because one of these days you're going to want a motorcycle or a car and I'm not buying it for you. And then when that didn't keep me busy enough, he started a woodworking business so that every Saturday and every night after school, I could be working and stand out of trouble. And he taught me that work is honorable. Now, there was, I remember the time when he wanted me to clean the garage and I didn't want to. And I kind of slammed the doors. I walked out and I went out in the garage and I was throwing tools. And all of a sudden I heard this presence. I felt this presence behind me. I turned around. It was my dad. And I thought, oh, boy, I'm in trouble now. And he said to me, son, you don't want to clean the garage, do you? And I said, no, sir. He said, well, I'm just going to tell you this, where you want to clean it or not, you're going to clean it. He said, now you can either have a miserable time or you can figure out some way to enjoy doing it. Either way, you're going to clean the garage. And he walked out. And I sat there and thought for a minute. And I said, you know, he's right. I can either be miserable all day or I can figure out how to do this and enjoy it. And my dad taught me that work is something that you must do. And that work is something that you should do with a good attitude and find a way to enjoy it. And, and I've had a lot of yucky jobs in my life, but, you know, I just, it's a part of the job and I'm going to do it. And, you know, the same thing with football and, and sports. It's like, this is what you got to do. 
You're either going to step up and be a man or you're going to be a, a loser, you know, and you're either going to stay at it. Or you're going to quit. And I don't know. It's just a grit that I think sports puts into people. And I still think it puts it into them, even though we're in a different day and age. I still think the guys that really become athletes and really become stars and really play, they have to work at it. You know, they, they may have talent, but they can't, they can't play to the level without working at it. You know, mm-hmm. so I just think, I just think sports pushes you. Sure. You know? And if you want to do it, you'll do it. If you don't, you don't, you know, right. and here's, here's the truth, brother. God will never make us do anything. And he'll never keep us from doing anything. Just tell my folks, he'll never slap a beer out of your hand. Never pull a needle out of your arm. He won't make you read your Bible. We have to decide what we want to do. Got to decide what you want to do in life. And then you got to do it. You know, a, a, a dream comes from the multitude of business, the Bible says. Hmm. Well, I want to be a great Christian. Well, it's going to take a lot of business. Sure. Well, I want to have a great, I want to build a big church. It's going to take a lot of business. You know, because where there's no vision, the people perish. But just having a vision doesn't get it done. See, I, I played football in high school and then I didn't, I dropped out. I didn't play my first two years of college. I went to a junior college, didn't play. The word was the coach there wouldn't play kids from our school. He kind of had a running battle with our coach. I miss football so much that I decided to walk on at the college I played at. I went down and talked to a recruiter. He said, what position play defensive back? He said, we don't need any. I said, well, can I just come anyway? So I walked on. Well, you know, I didn't get to play because I just showed up there. Had to work my tail off. I asked him who the best defensive back was. And they showed me. Every time he was in a drill, I was in a drill. So I worked hard. That's how I got to become a starter. That's how I, you know. And it's the same thing in the ministry. If God lays something on your heart, you got to work your tail off. You know, that's just the way it is. You don't work your tail off, don't expect success. <laughs> you know, now you can't do it without God. I'm not putting God out of this picture. If God's not in it, you're not going to do anything. But, you know, you notice in the Bible, God says, You first, then me. You give, then I'll give. You, you, you pray, you ask, and then I'll save you. You pray, then I'll answer. You know, just read your Bible. God says, I'll do this for you, but you first. And I think so many young men, they they just think, well, God's going to just do this. And and, um, God said, I will. But first, you do your part. Yes, sir. Well, that I I didn't tell you this beforehand, but I think I've probably told just about everyone I've done, done an interview with that this primarily first is for me. Because I get something out of them. I have this is mm-hmm. number seventeen, I think, and I haven't. Um, this is not disappointed yet um, to the, to this point. So, and that that, that I preface, I say that to preface the question because I want to know for you, what does your? If it's a personal question, you told me that you you uh, if you didn't like the question, you just want to answer. That's fine. Um, <laughs> what what does your your prayer life, your walk with God, your sermon preparation? 
what, what does that look like? Because I, I look and you said, you know, find out who the best is or find out who does what you want to do. And you lined up in the drill across from them and you try to do what they did better. And that's a lofty goal um, for the point I'm getting to. But you preach messages that God met with us and, and you'd be the first to say God met with us and, and um, he gave you, you know, uh, he, he allowed that to happen. Um, but you were his vessel. And so I'm curious to know, maybe before those times, those precious times, what, what, what did you do differently? Or what time did you put in? What, 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 in your opinion, what caused that? Well, what caused that was a hand of God. Yes, sir. And really a result of prayer. You know, that's, I mean, the key is prayer. You know, that's, you know, he said to them, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. You know, um, it's just, it's a matter of prayer. Acts chapter four, when they had been threatened, they went to the, together, the Bible says, and 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 when they when they lifted up their voice and prayed, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And the truth of the matter is, is you, you'll never anything that happens in your ministry. It's not you; it's God. If it's if it's genuine salvation, it's a genuine work, and God does it. You're just the vessel. Yeah, I think every preacher is different in how they prepare. And everything, guys would ask me how I prepare, and I tell them, "Look, you, you don't want to be like me. I got my Sunday morning messages at three o'clock Sunday morning. I got my Sunday afternoon, my Sunday evening messages on Sunday afternoon. I got my midweek messages on the on the, the we had Thursday service. I got them on Thursday, and many people would condemn me for that. You know, well." I got my message for next week already started and done. Everybody's different. I I wanted to be that way, but I couldn't be. Yeah, I, I because I'm ADHD. I think is part of it. Uh, also, I think because if I got my Sunday message on Monday, I wouldn't do anything else the rest of the week. And God knows each one of us. Here's what I tell young men. You have to figure out how God works with you. You have to figure out what works for you. And don't let somebody condemn you because you don't do it the way they do it. You know, Dr. Vineyard had two months worth of sermons already in his drawer. You know, you didn't have your sermons two months in advance. You know, there was something wrong with you. But brother, if I'd have prepared a sermon two months ago and then tried to preach it today, it wouldn't mean anything to me. To me, it had to be fresh. Hmm. I'm not a great student. I don't, I don't study books and study a lot. I just read my Bible I read my Bible every day, and sometimes all I do is just read words. Sometimes I don't really get anything out of it. But I read my Bible through every year for 27 years. I read it clear through, and then I read the New Testament through most of the times twice. I just believe that just saturates you with the Word of God. It's almost like, Mike, I can tell you what's coming on the next page as I'm reading. And so I have that Word in me. 
And then I beg God, to, God, show me what you want me to preach. I don't know what to preach, Lord. I don't have any idea. I never was one of these guys that said, this is what I'm going to preach um, to each his own. I did start doing some series later in my ministry, but I never felt like, you know, I'm just going to decide what I'm going to preach. And I'm just going to preach on this subject and do it, do what they want to do, what fits for them. But with me, I wanted to know, Lord, what am I supposed to preach to my people today? What do you have? I want to get, I want to know what you want. That's just all I did. So I would just read my Bible and have my devotion, my prayer time during the week and get up on Sunday morning, start begging God, Lord, I, I need to know what do you want me to preach today? He'd give me the message. I'd go preach it. And uh, so that's the way I did it. Brother Scott Hanks and I were at camp one day uh, on a Saturday at up Cedar River and we ate breakfast when they still did it, breakfast on Saturday with the teens. And he looked at me and said, what are you preaching tomorrow? And I said, Brother Hanks, don't ask me that. <laughs> I said, I don't have a clue. I don't get my sermon till Sunday morning. I'm so embarrassed. And he said, well, I don't get mine till Saturday night. He said, I thought maybe you would have an idea and I could borrow it from you. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know, Mike, I, I, I guess I try to say to young men, don't become a cookie cutter Christian. Don't become a cookie cutter preacher. You be what God wants you to be. You know, Pete, all the disciples were different. And we so much want to emulate somebody else. And I was, when I was young, I tried to be Jack Hiles. I found out I wasn't Jack Hiles. I tried to be Lee Robertson. Found I wasn't Lee Robertson. Tried to be Bob Gray Sr. for a while. And I finally realized I'm just Ted Houston. I can't be them. And my trying to be them is hurting people. And it's not let God can't use me. So I just got to be me. And, you know, I, I don't I don't even feel I don't even feel pressured to do what other people do. I feel like the best thing I did is divorce myself from public opinion and preacher's opinion. Not that I don't care. I love guys and I want to be their friends, but I'm not going to be pushed into being what they want me to be. I want to be what God wants me to be. Yes, sir. And I just feel like that maybe I feel like we, we push people into being something and we hinder them. And I think I think also that we put God in a box, Micah. God, you have to do it this way. And you did it for so-and-so, so you have to do it for me this way. I tell people all the time, when you check out how Jesus healed the blind, you'll find he never healed a blind man the same way. Is there a message there? I believe there is. God's saying, don't put me in a box. I'm God. You don't you don't dictate to me what I do. You need to operate and and find out what I want you to do. And if I want you to do something different than other people do as long as it's not heresy, you know, then then do what God wants you to do. Yes sir. I was at a pastor's retreat one time. Guy got up and said if I told you, if you told me this story, I wouldn't believe you. He said, I went to this little town. I knocked all the doors, did everything I could, scooped people's sidewalks, mowed their yard, couldn't get anybody to come to church. He said, I was praying one day, and the Lord said, 
ice cream. And he said, Lord, ice cream. He said, well, yeah, you got folks in your church that have ice cream freezers, don't you? Yeah, he said, well, every Sunday afternoon, you, you freeze up a bunch of ice cream and you invite the community out for ice cream social. And then after they come for the social, you say, no, we're going to have church upstairs. We'd love to have you come with us. He said, if you told me the story, I wouldn't believe it either. But I did it. And folks started coming to our church. Now, he'd be labeled a heretic, you know? Sure. Yes, sir. But, you know, I don't know. All I can say is that's what he said. And I'm not going to call him a liar. But it makes you think that, you know, maybe sometimes we're just programmed that there's only one way we can reach people. Yes, sir. You know? I believe in soul winning, confrontational, door-to-door soul winning. But I believe relationship has got to be important. We win a lot of folks to Christ we develop no relationship with. So we got a number on our soul winning, you know, report. Right. But how many of them did we see baptized? Right. I I just preached this sermon Sunday at a church. The four things that Christ is, what Jesus is looking for in every church. Well, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, observe all things I'm with you, along with you always. So he's looking for a place where people are being born again. He's looking for a place where people are being baptized. He's looking for a place where people are being built. And then he's looking for a place where people are being busy. Hmm. You see, and we're good at the soul winning part. But how many people do we lead to the Lord that we never go back and invest in? It's like a woman having a baby, putting the baby in the in the room with the bottle and the diapers and saying, God bless you. I hope you make it. And so, you know, I just I just feel like that uh, in some ways uh, a, a guy's got to find out who he is. He's got to find out about the community he's in. He's got to let God guide him and direct him. And he's, he's got to reach people the way that works for him. I remember hearing somebody criticizing a guy for not having buses one time. He's not independent. Babs, he doesn't have any buses. However, he lived in an area where the kids drove Porsches and Mercedes Benz to high school, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, what kind of a bus ministry can you run in a town like that? Right. You know, so a bus ministry doesn't make us an independent Baptist, you know. Um, and so there's a lot of things that that maybe we are taught that might work in that ministry where we're taught it, but it might not work someplace else. When I deal with small town preachers, you know, they're not going to have these big high-powered ministries. If you're in a small town, it's relationship. A town of 1,200, everybody's going to know you. And you need to know everybody. And you need to basically make yourself the pastor of the community, even if they don't come to your church. Mm-hmm. So that when they have a problem or a need, <laughs> I'm going to that preacher. Yes, because he's a good guy. In a big city, you don't have to do that. When I was in Jeff City, you know, I could lead people to the Lord all the time. And I could get people to come to church. It was easy. 
And many of them, they didn't come back. Well, kind of really no big deal. You can go get somebody else, you know. But in a small town, you can't do that. So I think ministry, we have to we have to figure out where we're at, who we are, and how God's going to use. Same way in preparing messages. Yes, same way in delivering your message and preaching. You know, we want to emulate the guy, you know, the air suckers and all that. You know, that's great. Be who you are. And, and, and be be controlled by the Spirit of God. Lose yourself. Lose yourself to God. I think that's the secret. Yes, sir. That's probably too long of an answer, bro. No, no, that's 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 great. It's great. You you're in a in not it's not a incredibly rare position, but being a pastor and and now an evangelist, you've gotten to see both sides of that coin. Uh, just as far as the the the. Um, you got to have evangelists in when you were a pastor and now you, you know, minister to churches for, for pastors. I believe there are at least two or three watching right now and uh, probably many more uh, later on, but for pastors, and then, then we'll get to evangelists in a second, but how can pastors take care of evangelists better? And, and, you know, I'm asking you and be like, well, you know, do this, 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 and this for me. And, you know, it'll be great, but in all seriousness, the man of God's worthy of honor and, and we should take care of him. There's a lot of lessons that you're treated in a certain way and you don't feel like I can just, you know, say, you know, that's, that's probably, I don't care, but the next guy might. And what are some lessons that pastors that are listening could, could learn about how to, to honor those folks. I, would, I would say this. Uh, I think pastors take care of evangelists very well. Hmm. Uh, here's what I would say to a pastor. The best thing you can do is use an evangelist. And one of the hardest things about evangelism is trying to get to pl- get a place to preach. Hmm. And, and, and we've this, talked about that. So please go ahead on that. Go ahead. This may sound like sour grapes and it's not, but you know, a lot of preachers use, a lot of pastors use pastors, mm-hmm. but they don't use evangelists. Well, you know, that's okay. I understand that. And I did too when I pastored, but that pastor's getting a salary and then he gets a love offering and evangelist doesn't get a meeting. I say to folks, no meetings, no eatings, <laughs> you know. And I don't mean that as sour grapes, but I think there's a, a if a pastor really wants to help evangelists, use them. You know, bring them in and use them. I mean, it's it is a it is a God called office. Um, I think I have a I think God was good to me, and I surrendered to evangelism originally, Micah. Hmm. Never intended to be a Christian school teacher, never intended to be a, a pastor. Uh, but God had a purpose. He always does. If he was preparing me, I think if, if your evangelist has been a pastor, he can really be a more effective evangelist hmm. because he understands a pastor's heart. I think a lot of pastors don't do it, use evangelists because evangelists sometimes don't understand the pastorate. Hmm. So it's safer to bring in a, a a pastor because he understands what you're going through. Sure. And if I had if I had started out in evangelism, I would have hurt a bunch of people and torn up churches. Hmm. And I think that may be one of the reasons why pastors don't use evangelists as much. But I think the greatest thing is just for pastors to use evangelists. 
good men out there. And I, we, I talked to a lot of them and a lot of them, you know, just struggling to get meetings, you know, and, and that's the biggest thing in advanced needs. When you get there, always, they take care of you. Always. They put you in a prophet's chamber or provide for your RV or, or put you in a motel and they take you and give you a love offering. They always treat you well. It, there's no problem with that. I think the biggest problem is just the frustration that evangelists are not being able to get meetings, hmm. you know, and then, and then feeling like you got to beg people. And, you know, that's not when I pastored, I, you know, I preached every week. And then when you're an evangelist, if you sit for a week or two, it, it's tough because you're called to preach. You got to preach, you know, you don't want to be sitting I enjoy listening to other preachers, but for about 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> for for young men that uh, feel called to evangelism, maybe um, college age or the case may be, or, or in the past, maybe God, they feel like transitioning to them. What would be some advice you'd give them um, as to being on the evangelism trail? Well, first of all, make sure it's God's will. You know, don't ever do anything without being in God's will. And then all you can do is just contact guys and see if they'll let you come in and pray and get scheduled and then and then go and go and be what God wants you to be, get filled with his spirit. You know, um uh, when I people probably think, you know, when I'm in a meeting, I spend most of the day in prayer. You know, Lord, what do you want me to preach? You know, I don't, I'm not there watching TV and I'm not out, you know, playing golf and stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm locked in my room just seeking the Lord. Lord, I got an hour for that. I want to see revival. You know, I want to help these people. I don't know them. I don't know what to do. And, so I would just suggest a young man learn to have a prayer life. Kind of go into evangelism, you need a prayer life. You need one in the pastorate too, but evangelism, I think you need a real prayer life. In a pastorate, you have a, you know what your people are going through. It's a whole lot easier to figure out what to preach. When you go into a church as an evangelist, you don't know what's going on. You don't know what people need. So you have to find from God what to preach. And I really don't want preachers to tell me what's going on. I don't I don't like I don't like to sit down and have a preacher tell me we got this going on or that going on because I don't want to be getting in the flesh. You know, just preacher have me come in and let's see what God'll do and let the Lord lead and that's the best way to do it, I think. And I you know, I don't know what else to say. You know, just got to pray, got to get meetings, and then you got to go there and be filled with the Spirit so God can do something. You sure don't want to waste a church's time. Yes, sir. Yeah, when people coming in every night and you not have the power of God on you and not be able to see something, you know, happening. Yes, sir. 
Now, I, I feel like I'd be remiss because I would like people that don't know to be, to be able to pray and those that do know to pray intelligently. Could you give us an update on, on where you're at? And maybe for those who have no idea, how long have you been dealing with some of these more harsh uh, medical issues and things? Um, how long have you been battling them? I was diagnosed with uh, lymphoma cancer June 18, 2013. And then uh, I knew I was going to resign the next month to go into evangelism. So um, I knew that uh, I didn't want to go the medical route at that start. So I'd already decided I wasn't going to do chemo or radiation or surgery. And so um, I started on a natural, natural trail and and it was good. I did good for a while, but then eventually the cancer, it started winning the battle. And in October, I really hit the wall. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you can tell, but I've lost a lot of weight. I, um, um, I looked I look like I came out of a concentration camp. If I took my shirt off, I don't have any muscle or anything left. So it was time to go see an oncologist. So we started on chemotherapy. Um, the first of the year, and um, I just had my second chemo treatment yesterday and today, and it's doing really well. Uh, the, the tumors are already shrinking significantly, and uh, a bit a little hard on your body. I was in the hospital last week because my white blood count was down so low. They thought I could really get some life-threatening. Well, I spiked 102 fever, and had a little bit of pneumonia, so put me in, built that all back up, and then we'll see how things do after these chemo. I'll have a lab on Monday, see if my white blood count's going down. But you know, I guess I'm in a battle for my life, but I, I really feel feel good, and I, I'm positive, and the treatments seem to be working really good. And doctor's pretty sure it's not a curable cancer, but it can go into remission. <laughs> then the question is, if it comes back, if it comes back within two years, that's maybe not too much they can do after that. But if you make it to the five-year mark, it's, you know, pretty good. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I'm doing good. Um, I tell you, it's interesting just that maybe this is uh, just an interesting story. I tell folks, I couldn't book any meetings in January, February, or March. And that's frustrating. And that's three months without any income coming in. I just couldn't understand it. You know, I was praying and praying and doing all I could to book meetings. And, and then I hit the wall with my cancer. And I realized that God knew that I, I couldn't be running all over the country and treat my cancer. Hmm. And so then I, I just began to contact preachers in the, in the Kansas area. And, and there's, you know, God's people are such good people and God's men are such good men. And and I filled almost every Sunday up in these months where I can drive to the church that morning, preach, drive home that evening, and then be available to get my lab work and, and get my chemo treatment. So, you know, God knew and God took care of it. And, and I'm really positive. I think we're, you know, the doctor said it would be six treatments, which would be six months. But he also said he's had people that 
the, the cancer's gone away. And one lady after one treatment, after the one treatment, I had big tumors here on my neck. They're almost totally gone after one treatment. And so, you know, after three or four, we may be done with it. So, and then now God's begin to fill up my schedule in the later months. So this has been an interesting battle, but I appreciate people praying. I mean, I want to be, I want to be healed and I want to be back on the road and doing what God's called me to do. I've had to cancel four meetings because of the cancer, just the way I felt and just couldn't make it. So I don't like doing that, but I had to and all those things. But we're doing good. God's good all the time. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, He's better to me than I deserve. Sure. Sure. The only thing I deserve, Mike, is hell. Yes, sir. Yeah, I've I've thought back often on uh, trying to remember. I I know you preached it at a at basketball camp there, uh, Brother Lovins. um, But just that the the thought of of really seeing your sin for what it is and 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 having an idea about that, it kind of it uh, subdues you a little bit, sobers you up um, when when you really get a glimpse of that any any uh parting words for those who might be listening i mean kind of the floor is yours open forum um anything that i always say you like to get off your chest but anything at all that you'd like to say to folks who might be listening well brother there there are four things i love deeply i love god deeply in fact uh if loving God is the greatest commandment, so the greatest sin is not loving God. Greatest sin is not smoking, drinking, cussing, or chewing, but it's not loving God. I love God. I, I love my family very deeply. I love Israel. Anybody that doesn't love Israel, you know, I don't have anything to do with them. And then I love America. And, and Brother Michael, all four of those are in trouble right now. You know, we're in, we're in uh, troubled sometimes. And, uh, you know, I just think Christians need to, we just need to get real serious about doing what we can. So the Bible says if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And uh, I think a lot of us think the foundations have been destroyed. They're being destroyed, but I don't think they've been destroyed. And I believe that 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 God is not wanting to destroy America. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes uh, we as independent Baptists, we can't wait till God sends people to hell. You know? And Second uh, Peter three nine tells us that God's not slack concerning His promise, but is long suffering to us for not willing that any should perish. God is not up in heaven saying, "I can't wait to come back and destroy this world." He's up in heaven saying, "I haven't come back yet because I don't want to see people go to hell." And if you study the history of God, Moses wanted to see His face. God said, you can't see my face, but I'll let you see my backside. So when he passes Moses, here's what he says. The Lord God, long-suffering, merciful. 
He was going to destroy Israel how many times? But they repented. He's always been a God of long-suffering. He says to a nation, if I say I'm going to build you and then you turn to wickedness, I'll destroy you. If I say I'm going to destroy you and you turn to righteousness, I'll repent. So I, my greatest heart cry, my greatest desire is to see God's people really seek revival. Well, how we do that, Second Chronicles 7, 14. So my people which are called by my name will humble themselves. So we need to prostrate ourselves before God. I mean, we need to fall on our faces. And I, I say at churches, you're not going to have revival if you don't use the altar. If we're too proud to walk down and fall down before God when he's dealing with us, then what makes us think God is going to give us revival? So prostrate ourselves. We need to purify ourselves. Micah, the truth of the matter is, is that we all, including myself, we have things in our life today that if we thought about them, they shouldn't be there. In this technical society in which we live and the Internet and all this stuff, we've really got a lot of stuff in our life that we need to purify out. We need to get honest with God. We need to quit making excuses. We need to quit playing games. You know, need to admit this is sin. Lord, I shouldn't do it. Purify yourself. Turn from your wicked way. And then we need to pray. And we need to pray with fervency, the effectual fervent prayer of righteous man. Fervency means with intensity. I believe the example of fervent prayer was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed with such fervency, the Bible says, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He wasn't saying, now I lay me down to sleep. Oh God, if it be possible. We don't practice fervent prayer. We need to practice praying, fasting. This kind cometh not forth, but by prayer and fasting. We also need to pray prayers of forgiveness. You'll notice that the Old Testament prophets and all confess the sins of their nation. We need to be praying before God, Lord, forgive us. Our nation is filled with abortion, killing babies, drunkenness, incest, pornography, and all this stuff. We need to be praying prayers of forgiveness. And so I think if we would purify ourselves, prostrate ourselves, and we would pray, that we could see God do great, mighty things. I believe it. If we can't have revival, then there's no reason for me to be on the road. And here's the thing, Micah, that I am, I'm not doing this. It's not me that I'm concerned about. Everybody thinks the Lord's coming back soon. He may. I hope he does. But what if he doesn't come back for 100 years? I'm thinking about you, Micah, and Becca, and your two daughters. I'm thinking about my three children and my nine grandchildren, the tenth one on the way. And we have a Hezekiah Christianity today. The adults, we become materialistic. We become self-focused. And I believe this, as long as it doesn't happen to me, it's okay. And so I'm not going to get stirred up about it. And what we're doing is we're cursing our children. The Jewish people said, our fathers have sinned and we are bearing their iniquity. And so if I could say something to Christians today, I would say, let's get serious about trying to turn this, turn this country back to God. 
Let's quit playing church. Let's get our priorities right. And let's do something to show God that we really want him to bless our country. And I believe we can have our country back, but I don't think it's going to happen just because, you know. And and I, I believe one man could do it because he said in Ezekiel, I sought for a man. He says in Revelation to the Laodicean church, if any man hear my voice and open the door. So maybe I'm a failure because I haven't done it. <laughs> yeah, but... But, boy, I just love to see us have God's blessings poured back out to fire. You know, we see that a little bit at football camp. Yes, sir. We see things at football camp that most Christians, most independent Baptists have never seen. And I long, I long for churches to see that. Yes, sir. You know? Yes, sir. If that would, if that would happen in every independent Baptist church in America, whew, we just might see some things change here. Yes, so I love my God. I love my family. I love Israel. I love my country. And, uh, and, and I need to do more. Man, I'm the worst. I'm the worst Christian. I know Micah, that's the honest truth. And I say that to people and they kind of look at me like I'm being, uh, blowing smoke, but the truth of the matter is I am because I don't know you, Yes, sir. but I know me. I live with me every day. I'm a, I'm a failure more than I'm a success. But I have a God that is merciful and gracious. And uh, and uh, I have a God that wants to use me, and I'm so thankful that he would do that. Amen. Amen. Well, Amen. well thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you. Um, I, yeah. I've said it, and I... I I said every time, and I mean every time, if the viewer count was at zero and no one else watched this, and this was just you and me and God, I was helped. And I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's, well, I need the help. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but, but it's been that way every time I've been around you. I remember, for those that don't know, Brother Houston coaches at Midwest Christian Boys Football Camp, among many other things. But I remember uh, you taking the time to – I can't remember what I asked you or, um, but many times you've said, Hey, I'm praying for you. Even when I wasn't on your team, you, you made time to, to find me and, and tell me that. And, and I've gotten postcards in the mail from you and I appreciate that. And, um, you're a man that, you know, as you said, be, be an individual before God and you know, you'll stand before God for who you are, but you're a man I'd like to emulate. And so yeah. I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate well, you. I- I sure hope that all my ramblings uh, didn't didn't bore everybody. <laughs> no sir, no sir. If if it did them, then they're idiots. I got I I, I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, but if sure you would, sure. There's a lot of they just throw in the trash can. <laughs> no sir, no sir. Well, if you'd stick around for just a second, and we'll sign off here and and uh, stop the live here. You've been listening to Mike McCurry live number seventeen. Hope you'll uh, join us for some subsequent uh, interviews some good men coming up and if you jump in halfway through go back and just watch the whole thing do yourself a favor and uh but houston's a good man um and i greatly appreciate you being prayer for him if you would as uh you know, praise for many folks Would you consider making a habit of praying for evangelist Ted Houston and his health? Seriously, if you would commit to that, I would greatly appreciate it. I know he would as well. 
once a day, even once a week. Pray for him and his health. I appreciate you listening to number 17 with Evangelist Ted Houston. If you haven't listened to the next, the subsequent episode, number 18 with my brother-in-law, Austin Marriott, consider doing that right now.